This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Annie Reese. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. This podcast is Food Stuff. Yes, hopefully you know that. I <laughs> when you know, you clicked on it. I mean, you could have come here due to very strange events. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know what in your life led you to this moment, but we're happy you're here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, we know what led us here. Because last time on the podcast, we were talking about sugar and you, or like sugar in your health, really, um, or like really the health of you and generations of other humans who have probably been negatively affected by the sugar industry's propaganda-like campaign that placed nutritional blame for obesity and related conditions on fats instead of sugars. It was an hour-long extravaganza. <laughs> it was so fun for everyone involved. <laughs> Uh, so today we wanted to uh, back the proverbial truck up and talk more about the, the science and also the history of sugar, which isn't really less depressing. No. Happy Monday, yeah. Annie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> happy and to you, listener. I hope that did not turn you off. <laughs> we will do a happy episode someday in the future. Yay. We have plans for some. We do. Yeah. I think there's um, there's bound to be more like cauliflower that are just full of like joy <laughs> and, and unexpected fractals. Yes. First off, to specify, last time 
that we were talking about sugar. We were talking about a few different sugars that are added to manufactured foods. But we were sort of mainly talking about sucrose, which is the white crystalline uh, table sugar that you are probably familiar with, unless you are very new to this planet, in which case, uh, welcome, and we're glad that you found our podcast. Also, congratulations on learning English so oh, early in life. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Oh, man. English is hard. <laughs> uh, producing sugar is also hard. Yes, and, it is. And thus, its history is wrought with some really tragic human rights abuses. So before we get into that, uh, let's talk about the modern production, which has been made a lot easier by a lot of really incredible technology. Most plants do have some sugar of one kind or another in them, but many don't have enough to extract at volume. But the two notable exceptions are sugar cane and sugar beets, which is where we get a majority of our commercially produced table sugar from. Right. Um, and you can find sugar cane, which is tall tropical grass, ranging from 8 to 24 feet, or 2.4 to 7.3 meters, in warm tropical areas. It looks a little bit like bamboo, kind of. Yeah, which is not the image I had in my mind at all. But <laughs> <laughs> It always reminds me of bamboo, mostly when it's like hanging out in a grocery store. But not that I see bamboo in grocery stores. <laughs> I was about to say, where are you doing your shopping, Warren? <laughs> the Caribbean islands and Brazil are the two places, the two main places that sugarcane likes to grow. Uh, sugar beets, however, can weather cooler climates and grow in places like Japan or Europe. And they, they're totally like, like just, just in scare quotes, um, uh, high sugar cultivars of the beets that you see in grocery stores. This root, root vegetable that's really sweet. I'm not sure I've ever seen either of these things in grocery stores, but I probably have and just <laughs> right over my head. <laughs> I, I've never seen a, seen a sugar beet in a grocery store, but I've seen regular beets. Sugar beets look a lot like them. Oh, okay. That makes sense with yeah. the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy beets. Yes. Getting sugar from sugar cane is is a difficult process. Yes. Because it's like bamboo. Um so you have to you have to harvest the stalks. Uh these days that's done with a mechanical harvester vehicle that's partially autonomous and probably runs on GPS coordinates. GPS coordinates are also used to plant the rows of the cane. Wow. I love this. Yeah, technology has come a long way. <laughs> I just like did not even envision GPS being involved in this at all. Right? Yeah. Oh man. Um uh, uh, even though it's partially autonomous, according to an interview that was done by ABC Australia, the harvester drivers really do have to pay sharp attention. Um pun intended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one Mr. Ross Stephen, a third gen cane farmer, said, quote, Oh, we've cut up all sorts of things. All sorts of fun things. <laughs> that is slightly terrifying. I... <laughs> <laughs> and I can just imagine he said it in a very jolly Australian accent. I know. I, I, I'm sure I, w- I would have tried, but I really I can't do Australian at all. It would just sound British. Um, uh, OK, so once you've got the stocks, you, you take them to a probably on site or extremely nearby plant for processing. Um, by processing, I mean you pulverize them, you press them, you add water and lime, like the, the mineral lime, not the fruit lime, um, and, and thus create as much juice from the stalks as possible. Uh, the remaining fibrous tissue might be kind of like recycled as furnace fuel at the processing plant. And then, um, well, okay, either, either at this point or later or both, 
Uh, you're going to want to purify the juice to get out any uh, dirt, bugs, remaining fibers, whatever, uh, mud. Um, and that might involve physical processes like filtration, in which you filter solids out of a liquid with screens and or force, like a, like a centrifuge, and or by just kind of waiting for the floaty bits and the sinky bits to float or sink, depending on, you know, which one they are. Um, it can also involve chemical processes like uh, washing with with more lime, carbon dioxide, phosphoric acid. Basically, the idea here is that these particles will grab onto molecules in the liquid sugar that are not sugar, uh, thus making it easier to filter those things out. Um, this also creates a byproduct that can be used as a fertilizer for the cane fields. The sugar industry is so full of amazing byproducts. It's... <laughs> It's I get I get excited about byproducts. <laughs> we need something to get excited about in this episode, so that's great. Okay, so to get sugar really white, you then bleach it with granular carbon or bone char. Uh bone char being basically granulated carbon that's made with the bones of your foes. <gasps> I mean like animal bones, probably, that have been superheated to reduce them to carbon, like like crazy burnt bone toast. Um all this refinement may happen later on in the process at an off-site plant, maybe even in another country. Um, the specific technologies that are used for refinement are propri- proprietary and protected market secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, some companies choose to forego most of this purification and sell their crystallized product as raw or uh, turbinado sugar. Speaking of, um, you're eventually going to want to turn this juice into, you know, crystals of sugar. So you boil it down, um, seed it with already formed sugar crystals, which spur the crystallization process, and then use a centrifuge to separate the crystals from the remaining syrup, which is molasses. It's not quite the high-quality molasses that you would buy in a store to eat with your face. Um, it can it can be refined, too, or you can use it as part of feedstock for, for animals. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can control the size of the crystals that you get by playing with the time and the temperature while the crystals are forming slash drying. And uh, if you're making powdered sugar, you just pulverize normal old granulated sugar and add like a wee bit of cornstarch, like 3% of the total weight, in order to prevent clumping. And to get brown sugar, molasses or cane molasses syrup is added back in towards the end of the sugar refining process. It gives brown sugar a stronger flavor and better moisture-retaining properties, which is the main reason why it hardens when you don't store it properly. Uh, according to Lauren, I've never done this. <laughs> but if you you could either keep it in an airtight container, which I don't, or you can <laughs> toss a slice of fresh bread or a couple of apple wedges in the bag. The sugar preserves the apple wedges so they don't get like moldy and terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, you can you can try it, and if you if you try it and you ruin a bag of brown sugar, Annie, yes. I will replace that bag of brown sugar. I unfortunately cannot <laughs> extend the same offer to all of y'all out there in podcast land. Oh, too bad, too <laughs> bad. This is an experiment I'm going to try post haste. Yes, excellent. <laughs> oh man, that's actually impressive because getting Annie to go grocery shopping is that's true. <laughs> I haven't been in four weeks, you guys. Oh my goodness, the experiment is going to continue. I think I can make it two more weeks. <laughs> Annie is dedicated to this cause. I love it. I go like every day. I go like three times a day sometimes. Anyway. Um, okay. Uh, uh, sh- sugar beets. Sugar beets because uh, sugar cane, sugar beets, sugar beets mm-hmm. are basically the same process. It's actually a little bit easier. Um, you harvest the beets. You cut off the stems and the leaves. And you can either feed those to animals or uh, plow them right back into the land as fertilizer. 
at a, again, nearby or on-site facility, you wash and slice the beets, then cook the slices to help pull out the sugar and create a juice, and then purify the juice as desired. Um, although beet sugar is naturally white, so you won't need to bleach it with carbon or bone char, for which reason some vegans try to go with beet sugar over cane sugar, because the, the cane sugars that are uh, treated with, with bone char are not labeled as such. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, then, uh, then, uh, you, you do the crystallization thing, the separation from molasses thing, and the final processing thing. And that's how you make sugar. <laughs> In an extraordinarily tiny nutshell. There, there are, if you, if, if y'all are really curious, there are billions of pages of technical manuals about yes. all of the different specific equipment that is used to do this and like how exactly it works. And it's one of those moments that I'm like really impressed by human ingenuity and industry and also just desperately bored yeah. at the same time. <laughs> there were a lot of diagrams that had very many like lines and pieces. And oh, I, yeah. I was just looking at the picture completely overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's um, – I'm like, oh, so it means you boil it. Okay. 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 I get boiling. I understand that word. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so that takes us um, into our history portion. Uh, history doesn't actually know exactly where sugarcane originally came from, but we'll give you a couple of history's ideas about it right after this break for a word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. Zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And we're back. We're back and we've got transatlantic accents. <laughs> We're just as surprised as you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, all right. So, um, so no one really knows exactly where sugarcane came from. It was definitely growing wild in Polynesia or Southeast Asia or both. Um, a lot of hearsay says that it was originally cultivated in what's now New Guinea between like 8,000 to 5,000 BCE, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Um, I love the use of the word hearsay. Here. Like it's still <laughs> gossip. Like, 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 oh man, I heard. No, no, I heard Noel and Dylan talking in the kitchen. And they said it was New Guinea. <laughs> that's where sugar cane came from. I don't, I, that's actually, I suppose in a lot of other offices, that would be completely ridiculous. Yeah. But here, around here, you just it never is know. It's in the realm of possibility, it for is. sure. Water cooler talk game. Yeah, how stuff works. <laughs> On point. Very interesting. It's, it's really intense sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so people, people may have been using, um, reedier forms of sugarcane as a construction material. Um, and then growing like more tender, juicier sugarcane to just kind of chew on, um, as a fun, tasty pastime. <laughs> snack. I'll just chew on some sugarcane snack. Um, a lovely pastime. Yeah. And then around, 500 to 350 BCE, India improved on this chewing method by pounding or grinding the sugarcane to extract the juice and then boiling it down into rough crystals. Or sometimes they did this by drying the sugarcane juice in the sun. Because of the consistency of sugar, both the Sanskrit and Chinese words for sugar mean gravel or gravel sugar, respectively, Hmm. which when I was in China, one of my favorite desserts I had was called... In English, the translation, peanut butter ice gravel. And now, like, I've been on the search for it since I got back years. Uh (laughs) I've been looking for it. But now that I know this, it was probably just peanut butter and a ton of sugar. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it was so good. Was was it frozen? It was, yeah, kind of like a smoothie, but it had had a sand-like texture. So it must have been just just an amazing so much sugar. horrifying amount of sugar and peanut butter. But now I know. <laughs> I mean it sounds delicious. It was so good. <laughs> I might try it, see if I can recreate it one time and then now that I know it it probably to get that texture I guess like 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 
non-bake, like like no-bake peanut butter cookies mm-hmm. are about the same thing. Like it's really just you just mix flour yeah. and peanut butter and sugar together. And those are certainly delicious. Yeah. It was kind of bummed me out because the way they're marketed or people talk about them like it's some kind of healthy snack you can have. And then I go to look up the recipe. And I'm like, hmm, what like, can I eat after exercise? Wait a minute. This is all sugar. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, back to sugarcane. Yeah. There is a legend in India that sugarcane is a leftover luxury from when famous sage of ancient India, Bisvamitra. Sure. <laughs> I'm probably butchering it. This translates to friend of the universe. Supposedly, he created a temporary paradise for Raha Trishnuku. The Raha wanted to go to heaven in his own body, but was denied by the leader of the celestial realms, Indra. Um, and when the temporary paradise was destroyed, sugarcane was left behind Ooh. to be enjoyed huh. in the mortal realm. I see. Yes, which I thought was an interesting yeah. Interesting tale. Yeah. Um, a- another legend has to do with the soldiers of some someone. Yes. We found a lot of differing. It seemed to be either one of two fellows. Yeah. So either <laughs> soldiers of Alexander the Great or possibly Persian Emperor Darius. Also the Great. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> great dudes back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what they thought anyway. Uh, these soldiers stopped near the Indus River and described, quote, reeds which produce honey without bees. Um, whichever great fella soldiers these were, uh, they brought some back of this uh, reed that is like honey to Europe around 500 to 300 BCE. But it was a rare, exotic food, and those that produced and traded it became quite wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, as Arabs invaded Persia in the 7th century CE and then spread through the Middle East and North Africa and Spain, they brought sugarcane with them. Uh, Egyptians, under their rule, worked on better methods of crystallization and refinement, and it became an even more prized crop. So prized that the Arabs brought East African slaves into the Persian Gulf to work with it. Yay! It goes back longer than I ever knew. Huh. Um, al- although, in- interestingly, um, in the late ninth century, the conditions on sugar plantations were part of the cause of a huge slave rebellion in Iraq, um, under Arab rule still at the time. Um, fighting went on between the slaves and the Arabs for 15 years. And some historians credit this rebellion for shifting slavery in the Arab world away from plantation work. Whether or not that's a good thing is it's still slavery, so it's not. Um, the yeah. just just baseline, it's bad. Um, but 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 an interesting historical note mm-hmm. for sure. Um, also interesting to history, as sugarcane was brought into the drier parts of the Middle East, the 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 industry demanded better irrigation technologies be developed. So, uh, sh- sh- sugar sugar has a hand in a really surprising number of, of like world historical developments that I just never knew about. Yeah. Uh, Western Europe didn't really catch on to sugar until soldiers started returning from the Crusades with what they called sweet salt in the 11th century. It was also tremendously expensive luxury, uh, and it would remain such for the next couple hundred of years. Yeah. Uh, the invention of a new press in the 1390s doubled the juice that could be extracted from sugarcane, and this more efficient production method led sugarcane plantations 
to spread through what's now southern Spain and Portugal, and then to the Canary Islands, Madeira, and the Azores, all islands off the coast, by 1420. And then... And then... <laughs> in comes a dude who always improves situations. <laughs> Read sarcasm. Uh, Christopher Columbus. Yeah! Yeah! Who stopped in the Canary Islands in 1493, was introduced to sugarcane, and took some with him to the New World. And apparently there's a whole love story involved here. He was only supposed to stay for four days, uh, but he ended up staying for months. Fling <laughs> is probably a better word. I doubt there was really love involved, but what do I know? Uh, sure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Christopher Columbus was getting up to. Uh, <laughs> it's really interesting to me that, that like the 70-year gap, like if, if sugarcane had not started being grown in the Canary Islands, like essentially right before Columbus hit there, yeah, then – we might never have known how well it grows in the in the new world. Yeah. I mean, probably we would have because it was really big around a lot of other populations at the time, too. But yeah, the, the timing is uh, very I, I don't know if fortuitous is the right <laughs> word. The timing worked the, out. The timing did a thing. <laughs> yeah, there was timing. Involved. <laughs> you interpret <laughs> as you as you will. Yes. And speaking of time, around this time, Venice was the seat of sugar distribution in Europe. I did not know this, but I found it super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was it was actually refined and shipped from there basically basically everywhere. Yeah. And the improvement in the production process, the ease of cultivating sugarcane in the warm climates of the New World and the slave labor used to do the work meant that the Mediterranean trade would eventually lose its monopoly and most of its sugar power. But Venice was like this superpower largely due to yeah. sugar. And I'd never heard about that at all. I mean, I guess I like could have kind of inferred it from what I know about Venetian candy making at the time. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, candy making was, was real big in, in, in Venice in like this the 1500s or so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, oh man, we should totally do like historical candy episodes. Those are yes. like, like, like marshmallows and like spun sugar candy are. Really beautiful and, and great. Yeah. Um, we have two episodes about how terrible sugar is. But then... So many candy episodes! It's, and it's wonderful. Yeah! <laughs> Forget all that bad stuff we told you. Oh, no, except I need to talk about the bad stuff now. Like Annie was saying, um, uh, the, the the slave labor that was that would be used in the New World was uh, kind of gutted the Mediterranean trade. And it was so much Slavery. Um, starting in 1505, over 10 million African and, and largely West African people would be forced into labor among the sugar plantations that were s- so quickly spreading throughout the New World. Yeah, that is 10, 10, mil- 10 million. I mean, uh, they were there for tobacco too and cotton, I guess. But but it was but 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 sugar was was really the biggest cash crop. Mm-hmm. Sugar was really powerful at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, soon after Columbus introduced sugarcane to the Caribbean, the Portuguese began producing sugarcane in Brazil. Mm-hmm. By 1540, the northern coast of Brazil had 800 sugar mills. Whew. And by 1550, the New World had somewhere in the ballpark of 3,000 sugar mills. Ah. And that created a need for materials and specialized jobs that helped catalyze the start of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, yeah, because it was all all of this cast iron machinery, the, these gears and lever systems and axles and other great stuff like that that uh, 
yeah, that that would that would do great things. Hmm. It was also the key to maintaining the slave trade. Uh, historians call it the trade triangle. Um, Africans were enslaved and brought to the New World, where they produced sugar, which was sent to Europe as a cash crop, which allowed the Europeans, the capital, to go buy more heathens to enslave. Yes. Trade triangle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're uh, making terrible faces right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's, there's nothing. I, I wish, I, I, th- I think in these moments of, of Chuck Bryant, <laughs> <laughs> because, because <laughs> what would Chuck do? <laughs> yeah, no. What would Chuck do? Because he has this amazing way of of he's he's just got this perfectly like sympathetic and yeah. straightforward like thing that he does. And I'm like, how are you so good, Chuck? How are you so good? I'm I'm miming shaking him. Not that I would ever shake Chuck. I I don't think he would like it. But he'd be like straightforward about how he didn't like it. <laughs> he would be so kind. And yeah. So- <laughs> There's a lot to learn from Chuck Bryant. There certainly is. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Back to sugar. Yeah. Uh, the Dutch brought sugar cane to the Caribbean soon after 1625, kickstarting the sugar revolution in the region, which took place between the 17th and 19th centuries. Uh, and, and as I was mentioning earlier, um, commodities, including like tobacco and cotton, uh, mostly tobacco, I think, from, from outside of Europe accounted for a third of Europe's economy at the time. Um, but sugar was the greatest part of that. Whew. Yeah. Um. That, that, that is how par- powerful it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's crazy to think. Yeah. But, uh, we take it for granted today. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just throw, just throw more sugar, just, just handfuls of sugar everywhere. <laughs> And historians attribute the increase of the focus on monoculture, the increase of plantations, and the increased use of African slaves who were thought to be resistant to yellow fever and malaria in part to this revolution. It's sugar revolution, yes. Yes, not the industrial revolution, although (laughs) kind of related. Parallel. Yeah. The Caribbean took the top spot when it came to sugar production. And all that technology... um was was really literally paying off. Um, the the Caribbean plantations were the first to add consumable molasses and also rum to their byproducts. It was also during this time that the English Civil War led to the indentured servitude of thousands of Irish Catholics in um, in sugar and tobacco plantations throughout the Caribbean. Records suggest that these uh, servants, quote unquote, mm-hmm. were really closer to political prisoners who were transported overseas on accusations of treason and that they were treated as slaves. Um, after Oliver Cromwell, things got better. <laughs> Period. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, but in, in the Caribbean for, 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 uh, Irish folk. For sure. Um, after, after Cromwell was out, both Irish and English people began, uh, migrating to the islands of their own free will, even sometimes, um, to work their way into land ownership, partially on sugar plantations. And all of that aforementioned technology, by 1750, the price on sugar began declining slowly. <laughs> From, please, sir, take my gold for an equal weight of sugar. <laughs> To something at a more reasonable price point. It was supposedly called white gold by British colonists around that time. Yeah. Uh, we weren't kidding around when we said it was a luxury. It was 
uh, quite expensive. Oh, yeah. But as the numbers of Europeans using sugar in their tea, coffee, jams, jellies, candy, cocoa, and other processed foods rose, the greater the demand for sugar production and the Caribbean sugar industry responded by increasing the amount produced, turning out 90% of the sugar consumed by European customers. Oof. Yeah. They came up with new ways to produce sugar faster and better, like using animal manure to grow their crop and advancing their mill technology. Which sounds like duh at this point, but <laughs> but at the time it was yeah. like, oh, huh. Yeah. Huh. Well, let's try this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, like most products, the price of sugar fluctuated, shooting up during the Dutch Revolt and the Napoleonic Wars. But as larger plantations cropped up in European colonies in the Caribbean, prices generally fell, and by the 18th century, pretty much everybody was eating sugar. It became viewed almost as a necessity. At the time, most folks put it in the tea, mm-hmm. uh, it, and it came in this cone. Yeah. Yeah, and you had to use pliers called sugar nips. Sugar nips. To break off pieces. I love this. <laughs> yeah. I found some pictures of it. They look kind of like ice cream cones. Yeah. Cute. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've, uh, you can, you can purchase them in, in stores. They're, they're still sold in like, like Latin markets sometimes. Oh, really? Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've had one before and was like, what do I do with this? <laughs> Does it still come with a tool? Can you get these pliers? I didn't. It, it certainly did not come with a tool because I was like, I, I guess this is, I guess I have to hit this with something very heavy. <laughs> is it really hard? It's really hard. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Like totally solid. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, the lower price and sugar also contributed to the rise of businesses like bakeries and jam makers, jammeries. If jammeries is not the correct term, then I think it should be from now on. <laughs> I would love to go to a jammery. I know, right? Oh, man. Any jammeries out there that want to want to <laughs> let us come hang out, yes. let me know. I'm sure there are. We could. Oh, man. OK, jam episode. <laughs> totally. OK. All right. Um, the, the, the drop in price was also partially due to governments like Britain relaxing their taxes on sugar in the 1800s. Um, the taxes on sugar importing um, had been crazy high because it was super profitable for governments to do so. And why not? Yeah. And uh, Britain may or may not have been known for um, taxing a lot of folks. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, um, some historians attribute American independence partially to the sugar trade. Uh, British plantation owners, you see, in the Caribbean were so vastly outnumbered by the human people who they were forcing into terrible labor. Um, and the business was so profitable to the government, especially before those taxes were lifted, that British soldiers were, were sent to maintain the status quo on the plantations. Um, some historians argue that if Britain had not been distracted with protecting the sugar trade, a few important battles in the American Revolution could have swung their way. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like, what? I knew America <laughs> loved sugar. So we've been we've been talking all this time about the sugar cane. But what about the sugar beet? Well, I'll tell you all about that once we get back from this short break. Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit tomboyx.com. 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. So, the sugar beets. We're going to start with Andreas Marroff, <laughs> a German chemist. He uh, identified the sugar beet as a source of sucrose in 1747. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his student, Franz Aschar, took this discovery and, with the help of the King of Prussia, Frederick William III, huh. started. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Started a sugar beet factory in 1801. It never made a profit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And it was destroyed sometime during the Napoleonic Wars, which, just for reference, in case you didn't know, took place between 1802 to 1815. Yeah. And speaking of the Napoleonic Wars, as I feel like we do in every other episode, <laughs> around the same time, Napoleon refused sugar imports from France's then enemy, the British. 
1813. And instead, he issued a challenge to scientists and chemists to find an alternate way to make sugar. Oh, man. Yeah. So they wouldn't have so, to depend on these lousy Brits. So Napoleon is basically responsible for sugar beets being a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Go Napoleon. All right. <laughs> yeah, you know, he he set aside 79,000 acres of land for the cultivation of sugar beets. And uh, after his defeat in Waterloo and the lifting of the blockade, all but one sugar beet factory closed, oh. unable to compete with the cheaper prices of sugarcane derived sugar from the Caribbean. But France put some protectionist tariffs in place to give their sugar beet industry more of a fighting chance. And sustaining the sugar beet industry was a major drain to the French treasury until something happened to even out the playing field a bit. The abolition of slavery. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I sense we need to hop back to the Caribbean. You are correct. Okay. So like we said earlier, it's estimated that millions of slaves were brought to the sugar plantations of the Caribbean and Brazil. The harvest and cultivation of sugar was not easy work. Death rates exceeded birth rates in the slave population. Um, as you can imagine, there's not much in the way of health care. Nope. Um, on many of the smaller islands, 4% died each year. Oh. The leading causes being malnutrition and overwork. And uh, they also had really poor housing and living conditions just obviously. But, mm-hmm. uh, when Britain first made the slave trade illegal in 1807, abolishing slavery in the 1830s and the United States following soon after, slave labor was replaced with contract labor and there was a push for technologies that would reduce labor cost. Okay. Well, so there, so yay, that cool. I mean, yay technologies. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and sugarcane depleted soil very quickly, which meant that manufacturers looked to build these new technologies they were developing on larger islands with fresh soil, including Cuba, which became the richest country in the Caribbean in the 19th century. It didn't have any mountains, so most of the land they could devote to crops, and the dominant one was sugar. Yeah. Cuba's dominance in sugar production continued until the Soviet Union's collapse in the 20th century. Uh, and technological advancement in developed countries means that sugar refinement doesn't depend nearly as much on physical labor and manpower. But in developing countries, the manufacture of sugar relies on impoverished and minimally paid workers in what some call a form of modern-day slavery. So, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Some improvements. Some. A few yeah. here and there. Um, uh, I, I'll, also, I guess an improvement is that we have a bunch of sugars made from corn syrup now. Yes. <laughs> All that high fructose corn syrup you hear so much about. Yeah. Which is a liquid sweetener derived from corn that rose in prominence as industries tried to find a way to get around sugar tariffs because I kind of briefly touched on this in the last episode but a lot of developed countries uh, have uh, protectionist taxes and tariffs. Sugar is really highly taxed, actually. Yeah, still. Yeah. So as a way to get around these taxes, the high fructose corn syrup kind of became more popular. 
And then all this health stuff came out about that, which I read some things that sugar might have been involved in that too, which I was confused by. <laughs> I thought they would, I don't know, they're related, right? They, well, but, but it's a different name, so. Oh. <laughs> so, so obviously it's a complete, the, the fact that it's chemically very close does, you know, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. When it's got a different name that you can blame stuff on. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so that's, yeah, cool. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, sh- sugar in, in addition to be, to being heavily taxed from, um, from, from outside importers, which is what importers are. Um, uh, it, it's also heavily subsidized in most yes. countries in the world that, that grow it. So people are really excited about producing it because they can sell it at such a good profit to other places. And because it's literally addictive, either psychologically or physically, we, we're not sure which. No. Um, and everyone likes it. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> so that's, so that's kind of the story of sugar. Yes. A lot of, um, twists and turns, technological advances. Very surprised it was involved in the American Revolution. Right. Potentially. Yeah. yeah all of these politics are, are what really, really shocked me about this episode. Um, I, I had, I mean, I, I, I knew obviously that it had all of these awful ties to slavery and, and that the, the communities in the Americas were deeply affected by, um, by the, the cultivation of it here. But I, I don't think I knew what a big, like, world development. Yeah. <laughs> role it had played. How powerful it was. Yeah. Before we totally wrap up here, quick word on artificial sweeteners. Yeah. Because, uh, we thought you'd had enough depressing stuff. With this two-part sugar episode. But be wary of sugar-free products that use the artificial stuff. Because science indicates that they're generally pretty terrible for you, too. Yay! Yay! So in avoiding sugar, try not to choose something worse than sugar. Yeah. And not all of them. I mean, the science is I mean, still out the, on some of them, yes. Absolutely. I think that we could, we could probably, while we're just, just willy nilly adding episode ideas to our, to our list, <laughs> yeah. we could definitely do, like, a, a, a lot of the development of, of artificial sweeteners is super fascinating because yes. a lot of it is accidental. Yeah. And or like government involvement. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like one or the other. It's either like, oops, or like, hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, fascinating stories. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll put that off. Yeah. Maybe something we'll think a bit lighter. Talk about kittens. Oh, this is a food show. I can't say that anymore. <laughs> no, um, we will never talk about kittens on this show. Lord. We'll talk about, I don't, what's a happy thing? Um, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know what the, well, you know, I'm not drawing a blank. But I hesitate to say anything because oh. I haven't researched it yet. Okay, fair. And I, it, who knows? That could be the pineapple could be super depressing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. All right. We'll just keep talking about cauliflower over and over yes. again. Every aspect of cauliflower. Yeah. It's the cauliflower show now. Yeah. Um. If you if you have any ideas for us about maybe happy topics, maybe super depressing topics, you can send us an email. Right. Our email address is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. And we also have a Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, I know what both of them are this time. Uh, the Instagram is at foodstuff and the Twitter is at foodstuffhsw because HowStuffWorks is our parent company and HSW is an abbreviation of that. 
at foodstuffhsw on Twitter. Yes. Uh, thank you to our audio producer, Noel Brown. Get in touch with us. We hope to hear from you and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.